Oh boy, here we go. Hello, welcome to another episode of Setting the Tone in ER Retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Yep. And Daniel. Hey, guys. (laughs) (laughs) In case it wasn't obvious, today we'll be discussing Season 6, Episode 13, which is titled Be Still My Heart, Part 1 of a Two-Parter. The episode aired on February 10th, 2000. Lauren, what was going on that week 22 years ago? Let's start with the sadness. Jim Varney, the American comedy actor best known for his work regularly starring in movies and a short-lived TV show as the lovable goofball Ernest P. Worrell, dies of lung cancer at the age of 50. I did not realize he was that young when he passed. Yeah, he was a heavy smoker, according yeah, well, to the article I, was, that I doesn't, read. That doesn't surprise me based on his voice alone, but, um, bummer, uh... Scream 3, the third installment of the horror franchise that will not die, starring Nev Campbell, David Arquette, and Courtney Cox, debuts and easily takes the number one spot at the box office, despite mixed reviews. I love all the Scream movies, and it's fine. No, but it was like $40 million to like $9 million was the next one wow. or something mm. like that, so... Yeah. And how dare you say a horror franchise that will not die. It, I haven't it, seen the newest one, so I don't know ha- if it's any good. It but just still. had a new entry, so that's not like... No, normally, a, normally when somebody says something will not die, it's a disparaging remark. I just so. think it's a, it's ironic that a slasher, uh, slasher horror fi- uh, film franchise refuses to die. Have you heard of Jason or Freddy? <laughs> I'm, or... Not, I'm not saying that those. I'm, I. Whatever. Moving on. Uh, and I knew I loved you by Savage Garden is the number one song for its second week. That's a song that will Yeah, die. there you go. <laughs> that's, that, that's the appropriate usage. Uh, what else was on at 8 p.m.? Friends with the episode The One Where Chandler Can't Cry. Might I suggest he watch these two episodes instead? Uh, at 8.30, <laughs> Jesse with the, at this point, just a shit posting of a title of My Boyfriend Went to Chile and All I Got Was This Lousy Mustache. I don't write them. I just read them. I yeah. Okay, sure. Je- I get, at this point, like, Jesse must be just, like, trying to, like, get try to lure viewers in with the most ridiculously titled like mad libs titles possible because clearly nobody's watching otherwise uh at 9 p.m frazier with the episode out with dad and at 9 30 a frazier rerun this week's episode had a whopping 31.3 million viewers tuning in up a handful of a million up from the last few we've had we've been kind of hovering in the 27 28 range for a while so um there was obviously a lot of um promotion done for this one um and as we will get into in the listener responses at the end um i tried to like dig around and see if i could find a like promo clip for how they advertise this uh two-parter um but the consensus of what i was able to find from reading things and from seeing what people remembered in our listener responses was they definitely made it clear that somebody was leaving they didn't specify who and they did not specify that said person was gonna die they just basically made it seem like one of your favorite ER cast members is leaving forever and you'll have to tune in Thursday to figure out who. So it was a very, uh, you know, sort of ambiguously played thing and it, and it worked. I mean, it's, we're at 31.3 for this one. And I think we only go up from here for all in the family next week. So, uh, well, I suppose if you were going to, if you're going to promote it like that, you still don't know at the end of the True. episode. It right. Still could exactly. Be either one, either one or both exactly. of them. So yep. yeah, it, it's a, it's a, 
as you might expect from the number one show on TV at the moment, uh, a masterful job of marketing itself. Uh, this week's episode is directed by our own Laura Innes, doing her second out of 12. A uh, previous one of hers we talked about was Power uh, from last season, uh, I believe. Late, yeah, I believe late so. season five. Uh, and written yeah. by Lydia Woodward, doing her 21st out of 27. Previous one of hers, uh, Leave It to Weaver from earlier this season. Uh, weird to think that we have talked to both of those people already. <laughs> like, <laughs> we have talked to both halves of the creative equation of this episode. That is why. Okay. Patreon.com slash Podcast. Yes. You can listen to those. Uh, in Lydia's case, I don't think we talked specifically about this episode, but Laura's case, we definitely did. Like, we definitely talked specifically about this episode. Uh, and uh, since Laura is busy uh, directing this week, there is no Weaver. However, Laura Innes is here, and we will talk about that when we get there. <laughs> but let's uh, kick off the episode with an audio clip. Let's check in to see how the Green Day kids are doing. What are you doing? Hold on. Weed through your mother's record collection. You mean the one we schlepped all the way back from San Diego along with that old turntable? So now you can throw it out? We did go through some strange musical phases. Bless her heart. Uh, the dance phase. Cha, cha, cha. Tango. And the lounge lizard phase. Tom Jones. I like a good show tune myself. Remember Oklahoma? Oklahoma? How could I not? Played it for me when I was a kid a thousand times. I guess you won't mind one more. As long as it means no more cha-cha-cha. I gotta shave. Go ahead. Don't want to be late. I thought surgeons were supposed to have horrible hours. Up very early. We do. I was up very late. I see your father's been here. What? Crown Essential Bouquet. Oh, over a year ago. God, I don't think I've even used it. Well... I must be off. Uh, what time's your angioplasty? What? You mentioned you were doing a laser angioplasty. I thought perhaps I would come and observe. Why would you want to do that? Well, my work with lasers is so esoteric, romantic, wandering through the atmosphere, watching the stars twinkle. I thought perhaps I'd come and see the practical approach. <laughs> I don't think it's even allowed. Well, I'm sure as Associate Chief of Surgery, you could make arrangements. Anyway, I'll call and check, or perhaps I'll just drop by. Wait, Mother! Mother, I don't think that's such a good idea! Choose your fighter. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what an inauspicious start to this episode. Right? Mm. Just, oh yeah, it's just gonna be another normal one about some uh, some family drama going on, the Green and Corday households. The the huge. Uh, yeah, I, I, um, and this is obviously getting into much bigger picture stuff, but like, I, um, I think this is a, an episode that unlike a lot of shows that, uh, have big cliffhanger episodes that rely on the cliffhanger moment to carry it. Um, this is a solid episode in and of itself with without mm-hmm. the cliffhanger moment, mm-hmm. but at the same time, um, I think cliffhangers uh, by nature have a tendency to overshadow the uh effect the events of everything that precedes it and make it so that you're only thinking about the cliffhanger moment at the end of it um this is an episode i think that actually benefits from a rewatch like this is an episode that benefits Mm -hmm. for like 
what I guess what I mean to say is that like in other cliffhanger episodes, everything once you've watched it once, everything that comes before the cliffhanger moment feels unimportant. Like it feels like it doesn't matter, and it feels like you're just waiting for that yeah. moment to get there. Whereas this one, I feel like is hugely benefited by the cliffhanger moment and is actually enhanced on rewatch because you're constantly sitting there going oh fuck you know what's happening in the other room you know what's about to happen in the other room at all times and so you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop uh speaking of rewatches lizzie and i watched this twice in preparation for this and both times we found new things that neither of us had noticed yeah. before yeah oh yeah there's lots of yeah. little like sprinkled things in here which i should also point out too we didn't mention this uh at lydia woodward's uh entry but she also wrote day for night back in season five mm -hmm. and we talked about it when um we watched that episode and when we reviewed that episode we talked about how there's lots of little like if you're watching it in hindsight kind of weird connections to lucy's end in her beginning and I almost have to wonder, I know Lydia was very, very blunt with us that like we were giving her way too much credit with most things, but I'm going to do it again, that like I almost have to wonder if she kind of went back to the the beginning of her time with Lucy as a character to figure out how we were going to end our time with Lucy as a character. Because there's just so many of those little parallels throughout the two episodes and, and especially here. And I will say, especially if you're going to do or you watch, hopefully you've watched it, watch it before you listen to us or whatever um but i definitely recommend you do it in high definition and in widescreen yeah so either hulu or hbo max will hook you up with a 1080p stream version of this because there's there's so many like little like periphery details that i can't imagine weren't totally like lost to a lot of households mm -hmm. on a four by three standard definition television and mm -hmm. i mean and, and this is again we're doing that thing we always do talking about interviews that won't come out for months like laura Yay. does talk about this in her interview that um she was sort of influenced by a lot of like hitchcockian elements like when it comes mm -hmm. to not only the episode as a whole but especially the last scene and you know i have to imagine that a lot of that stuff like like Lizzie said, you know, a lot of it would get lost in the framing of the the aspect ratios of the time. But I do have to imagine that most, if not all of that stuff we're seeing in the background was intentional mm -hmm. because it just mm -hmm. seems so purposeful. Or like they put it in on the off chance that it ends up in the final framing, right. just knowing that they're required, recording on a wider aspect ratio. Um, but yeah, I just want to shout out, I continue to fall in love with David Green more and more every episode. Oh my God, this man is perfect. Can I just have him just, okay. And also for all of our listeners who don't have to deal with Lizzie and I on camera, I was doing a wonderful cha-cha while that whole audio clip was playing <laughs> oh, just to spite Daniel. Yes. Lizzie joined were. me. Um, just because we have to have our laughs in the beginning of the episode where we can, cause <laughs> I'm not ready. Um, but yeah, I love love david green so much and i love how lizzie's mom throughout this episode is like oh your dad was here oh your dad does this yeah <laughs> is that a dog <laughs> yes we'll get into that but um yeah just it just sets up perfectly the dynamic for both of them um with that being said shall we move on to the rest of the episode Family if we Daddy? must i will i will lead the charge um we then go back to mark and he is singing one of the songs from Oklahoma as he is shaving, and I cannot for the life of me recall the name of it, but I know it was also in When Harry Met Sally. And David comes in and is not happy with Mark that Mark won't just give him the prescription he needs for his emphysema. Mark says he actually needs to go see a doctor. 
for his emphysema. Yeah, what's the good of having a doctor if he won't write you the damn prescription? Perfect example yeah. of me reading too much into things that I thought it was a little telling that he referred to him, or he referred to it as what good is it having a son for a doctor rather than reversing it and saying what good is it having a doctor for a son in that he thinks he mm-hmm. thinks of him more as a just a doctor than he does as his, like it sort of speaks to the distance between mm-hmm. them as father and son when he's like yeah you're you could be my doctor like i don't you know he would rather have that kind of detached relationship than have the father-son relationship that mark kind of so desperately would like interesting i hadn't even picked up on that but um, yeah, then we go in with bangs, because if any episode deserves it, boy howdy, this one does. And the um, next one. I'm just saying that these these are worth it to have it in there. Um, we see the desk is being decorated for Valentine's Day, and Yosh is so sweet. He's giving people hugs and Valentine's, and I love him, and he's perfect. And this so does not telegraph to where this episode is going to end. Oh my god. Um, and Carol and Lusa... <laughs> Carol and Luca are discussing Valentine's Day, and she's like, oh, don't you have it in Croatia? He's like, yeah, and then he starts reading off candy hearts, and it's very cute, and blah, 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 and he says, cutty pie, reading one of the one of the hearts, and Carol corrects him, cutie pie, and I love his delivery of, well, thank you. Ha ha, Mr. Eastern European doesn't know what Valentine's Day. Except he does, it's, it does but yeah. it's, it's just so good. Is, um, very cute between the is two Is that meant to be a foreshadowing thing, or is it not? I think it's just, no, it, it's I just, think it's just one of those, like, ah, let's point out how, how Luca's different. Yeah. It's just one of those things that when like, you're watching it again, knowing what's coming, you start looking for it. Once you see, once you see one thing, you start seeing a dozen things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, then we have Abby is greeting Mrs. Connolly, who came in a few weeks ago with her husband and, uh, Mrs. Connolly is looking for Carter to take care of her because Carter was who took care of her husband and, you know, Abby's trying to get a history and find out exactly what's wrong with her. And at one point she goes, I'm 83, dear. I ache all over. And boy, isn't that a mood today. <laughs> with, a big fucking mood. With the weather pressure system we have coming in through Chicago. Lizzie and I both sound like we're 83 today. So I, I feel you, Mrs. Connolly. I have metal in my neck. so And I have it in my hand. So both of our, so we both have reasons to and we're ache. Just- and we're just whiny bitch babies. That's but. true. Uh, so let's uh, move on then. We got some good and some bad in this next audio clip. Uh, for the good is that Green and Corday are having a little fun snowball fight. But the bad uh, is that Lucy meets a patient named Paul. Mark! Hi. Mm. Let's start reading like this. Just tell me we're going out for dinner tonight alone. Valentine's Day, I wouldn't miss it. Fun morning with your mother? Oh, she's actually threatening to come visit me at work. Oh, good. I'll finally get to meet her. Yeah, don't lose your breath. This is the woman who didn't even phone me when she got into town. So remind me again why it is you invited her to stay with you? Don't go there or I'll have to throw you into that snowbank. Could you remind me again? Oh, I can't believe you asked for it. You asked for it. You asked for it. Paul Sabricki. Yeah. Truce. You promise. I promise. <laughs> you promise. I promise. Scout's honor. Scout's honor. I'm done. Promise. Yeah. No. <laughs> just, just snowballs, I guess. Huh? Sorry. So you've got a bad headache. Oh. And have you had them before? I take aspirin. Why don't we? 
Where exactly is the pain? It's around my right eye. Are you nauseated? Yeah. And does light sometimes bother your eyes? Yeah. All right. Well, why don't we find you a room and get you checked out? Ah. <laughs> can we not? Can, can, can we not? I, um, so... Daniel, do you want to get into who is playing the lovely Paul before I talk about something <laughs> here real quick? Paul. Uh, yes. Uh, an amazing a credit to what an amazing actor this guy is that, you know, he he does such an incredible job with this role that it has sort of, in some respects, per, certainly for the ER fandom, it's definitely defined his career. Um, but, mm-hmm. I mean, this, this guy's done a lot of different. So David Krumholtz is our actor. He was in stuff like The Deuce, the TV series Numbers, uh, and the movie The Santa Claus, uh, people of a certain yes. age. Uh, 122 credits. I mean, he was in uh, 10 Things I Hate About You. He was in uh, – he kind of made the mm-hmm. rounds of, like, the teen movie circuit for a little while around this time. Like, he was in uh, Harold and Kumar Go to White Castle. Um, he was in just – he was in a bunch of different stuff. Um, and uh, this is this is a really, like, tough like thing. Like, this is – it's not often that, you know, anytime we try to like reach out to somebody for an interview type of situation, it's pretty rare that we would try to reach out to somebody who was a guest star. This would be one I would want to reach out to. Like this would be one I would mm-hmm. want if if the opportunity ever presented itself, I think there's enough to to dig into and enough to really talk about that we could fill 45 minutes or an hour talking to oh, him yeah. about just this role. Hell, even just these two episodes, not even ca- taking into account the third episode because he Return. will be returning to us in, I believe it's 2002. So that'd make it around season eight. Um, and so it's just like, it's, it's one of those like appearances that is like the second he's on screen, you instantly get like kind of uncomfortable. Like you get a little bit sort of squiggly in your body. Like, but not in a creepy way, yeah. because we've been dealing with with creepy no. for the last six weeks with Dean Rollins, and that's a completely different type of creep. This is a, a, a visceral creep. This is a like this is a this dread, is a dread thing, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and he's not over the top with it. He's not like it, it's very sinister. The whole portray- sin- tragically sinister, I would say. Yes, let's go tragically with tragic. sinister. Tragic's the best like it's way. it's all so understated. Also, he will always be the man from Santa Claus to me, which is mm-hmm. what makes this even harder to watch is because I'm like, Bernard, baby, no. <laughs> you, um, you stabbed those people. <laughs> but also, um, I wanted to point out, it's really interesting because I'm going through and finishing my reread of the Dark Tower series right mm-hmm. now. And there is a character in that who she technically has what would be closer to considered multiple personality disorder. But I believe it was written at the time when schizophrenia and um, multiple personality disorder were kind of considered interchangeable because you have to remember he started writing it back in like the 70s and 80s and it's really interesting to me so when we hear paul's description here of like his headaches and specifics it's almost exactly what Susanna goes through before she will like change personalities in the beginning so when i heard that i was like okay my fiction needs to stop lining up because that's weird (laughs) but um just play wrestling video games like i do no, I can't get I can't get hooked. Yeah, there's into that there's right definitely now. no dark underbelly to that that'll uh, rear its no, ugly I, head at some point. It's more just um, it's month and quarter, and if I dive into wrestling, I'm not coming out right now. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. But yes, David Crumholtz is amazing, and he would definitely be a guest star. I would love to have. On. Yeah, and it's just such a and also it's so, just such a dichotomy of like the joy of that Elizabeth and and Green moment contrasted exactly, with this. Yeah, like. I was just gonna say, aren't they fucking cute? Yes, yes. it's a very cute moment for them. I, 
I will always love the snowball fights between anybody on this mm-hmm. show. It's one of my yeah. favorites. Oh boy. Yeah. So obviously, as you might expect, lots more to come with Paul. Uh, but we go from there to uh, Chen and Malucci, who are both trying to run a trauma patients uh, simultaneously, bickering over who gets to take the lead. And Lauren? Whose films are those? This is the only time in this episode it will be okay to say. <laughs> our, uh, our patient here, a George Hudson, age 55, suffering from neck pain and a headache after getting rear-ended. Uh, and we uh, find out, of course, that he is a doctor. Um, but uh, Dr. Hudson here is played by actor Lenny Wolp or Wolpe. Uh, who appeared in stuff like After Forever, Sisters, and Martin. Uh, and so when uh, Mark comes in to check on them, uh, he it's revealed that uh, Dr. Hudson is a physician himself, and uh, he asks for, or Mark asks for his opinion on how Malucci and Chen are handling uh, his exam. And he says, so far they're asking the right questions, but they're not waiting to hear the answers. Fair critique. Uh, Mark takes the chart back and hands it to Connie instead, seemingly uh, taking over uh, for himself. Uh, We will check back in on Dr. Hudson a little bit later. Uh, For now, we go over for what I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, is the first on-screen interaction between one Abby Lockhart and one John Truman Carter III. You may be right. I don't think they interacted at all during Abbey Road um, and uh, certainly wouldn't have had much cause to interact during Great Expectations. Uh, so I think this is the first time we see these two uh, paired up together on screen. Uh, and let me tell you, they have negative chemistry. Uh, they have <laughs> they have physics. Like, they have whatever the opposite of chemistry is. Like, they have... Okay. Can I say, sure. can I say something in Bring defense it. of this? And say something in defense of this, because I think the whole... Like, I think the whole project and mission that Carter was given, like, to that... Uh, Noah Wiley was, I almost said John Wiley. I was like, I'm, <laughs> I'm confused uh, that Noah Wiley was given was like, be as much of a dick as possible. Sure. No, yeah. There's definitely a specific um, attitude like this, that is yeah. per, sort of uh, permeating Carter this episode. This is a very specific version of Trash Carter. Right. And I do sort of think if we can detour into Shipland for a, a brief moment, I do sort of think that eventually these two characters do cultivate some level of uh, believable romantic chemistry between the two of them. I still don't think it ever surpasses um, Abby and Luca. I feel like that always worked a little bit better. I mean, we kind of talked about it last episode. There was already immediate sort of sparks between those two characters the first time we saw them on, on screen together. Whereas here, they really have to work at this to try to make this into a thing. And I think they get there sort of eventually, but like, it's just never that organic to me. Like it's never, it does, it never feels that organic to me. It always feels like it's just, these are our, you know, especially now as the main, the first original main cast group is starting to sort of like slough off and we're starting to like shed our original skin and kind of move into this new era of the show. It definitely feels like they're looking at it from the top down and going, this is our male lead and this is our female lead they should probably have a thing like they should it people are going to get mad at me for this but it feels more like mark and susan than it does carol and doug susan. yeah but in in a like less endearing sort of way like i, I but you know i know yeah i know, I know I mean. exactly like, what the, you the mean working at yeah it. i know exactly what you mean but yeah uh just not a huge fan of it i know that they're very passionate opinions on both sides between the abby luca stands and the carter abby stands and it's like it's it's it gets I, intense. I 
I learned we have people on our uh, on our fan base, and I, you know who you are because we talk on Discord. And I've learned that there are some people who dislike Abby enough that they're actually going to stop listening to our show once <laughs> Abby becomes more of a main character. And I'm Whoa. just yeah. <laughs> I mean, some people, okay, some that, people. That's mean, but okay. Some... It's it's just I'm just using that to illustrate just how strongly people have opinions it's... about like specific ships and characters. I, I say I'm more saying it's mean, not because of you, Abby. Abby's a fictional character. You. Do what? Oh, uh, yeah. Say so you have your own opinions, but like that's mean. We're, no, no. I no. think we're nice. No, that's think... that's that's not at all what I'm saying. She loves our show. That's not what I'm yeah. saying. This is not meant to be a call out to say, hey, you need to keep listening. This is me saying that she is willing to stop listening to a podcast that she loves because she hates this character so much. That's what's impressive yeah. to me. Like it, how deep these. Roots it's like go. I said when she first popped up. Like this is a character who you know, lover or hater engenders a very specific, very deep emotional reaction out of people. You either fall in love with her implicitly or you hate her very existence. <laughs> or you're me and go, mm, I lived with that childhood. I'm good. I get where you're coming from, Abby, but I'm, I'm yeah, fine. But I mean, it, it's, and it speaks to, I think the quality of the writing of the character, uh, the, the construction of the character that it, it does sort of elicit such intense emotional reactions from people. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so uh, f- notable because it's the first, basically. It's the first time that these two characters are sharing any sort of screen time. Um, yeah. It, flawed, though, the uh, portrayal may be because of what Carter's going through this episode. But uh, Abby tells Carter that uh, June Connolly is looking for him, and uh, he doesn't remember who she is at first. Shocking. Uh, which is honestly shocking. I mean, yeah, it's, it's honestly, yeah, totally understandable, like, I I went through that even in the personal training world. You know, I would I would see a fraction of the number of people that somebody like Carter would see in a given year, and I'd have somebody come back. You know, six months, a year later, because people take time off from going to the gym and things like that, and they'd come back and they say, "Oh, we work together." You know, such and such time, and I'd be like, "Sorry, like I don't." You know, like, and I like to think I have a pretty good memory for names and faces, but sometimes people would just slip through the cracks. You know, so totally understandable uh lucy uh asks for him as they're walking down the hallway and uh basically gives a quick bullet point uh history on paul's condition Uh, and carter says that there's no need for him to examine him and he trusts lucy's treatment plan and basically dismisses her uh a a theme which will develop throughout this episode carter are we and i'm i'm gonna say this because i put put it in the notes later on are we back to season five, Carter and Lucy? Because that sure is how what today feels like. Yeah. Well, I mean, and now that we've sort of come to the end of the road with Lucy, it is sort of really because um, I always think of these two characters as so indelibly linked because of this, you know, because of this yeah. event. But in the grand scheme of things, like they've really kept the two of them apart pretty much since middle of last season. Like they right. don't do that and much you- around each other anymore. And you'll even see throughout this episode, Lucy is advocating for herself so much more than she would have last season. Yeah. But Carter's treating her as if she's learned nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is a very strange sort of like return to form, like early season five form uh, for the both of them. Um, but Carter goes in to check on June. Uh, he uh, kind of disagrees with Abby's uh, planned approach, wants to go with something less aggressive uh, because of June's age. Uh, and Abby confesses that when she worked in OB doing everything was pretty much automatic. It was very, you know, process oriented. Uh, and Carter, uh, replies that this is an OB. Try talking to her. Well, and also of course, in OB, you, a mom, like a par- set of parents would want you to do everything possible to save their child right. here. 
that might not always be the exactly. case. Exactly. And also, for some reason, my fingers kept wanting to type A B B E Y, mm. and I had to like slap my hand a few times. I was just like, no. Interesting. <laughs> just, it's always fun. No, not. <laughs> it's always fun whenever we get a new character. Watching Lauren's uh, notes process evolve of how she learns the muscle memory of writing a new character's name. Sometimes it'll be the first like, name. Sometimes it'll be the last name. And when I figure out what's the fastest to type, that's what gets, that's what, that's usually what it is. It's not necessarily that I prefer the fastest, first or the last name. It's usually what's easiest for me to yeah. type. It's understandable. Uh, we then see uh, Mark asking if Carter has seen Lucy's migraine patient and uh, Carter says that she presented it and uh, he didn't feel the need to. And Mark replies that he needs to supervise more hands on. Yeah. Maybe don't leave a med student high and dry. Uh, because Carter goes into Paul and Lucy and he's puking and uh, babbling. He's altered. Carter's like, why didn't you come get me? And Lucy's like, I was just about to. This just, just happened. Yeah, this just happened. So, yeah, and of course he turns in a chance to berate Lucy instead of examining Paul further. He's like, oh, no, this might be meningitis. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll go, I'll go get a LP kit. My brain, yeah. my brain just inappropriately decided LP standard for Let's Party. <laughs> I mean, there is a party in this episode, so lumbar puncture. But yeah, again, Carter, if you had taken five minutes to actually look at this man here instead of yelling at Lucy and running off, maybe you would have learned something important. You could say that about just take five yep. minutes. Like it would have really fixed a lot of things in this episode. It should be called uh, the, the, the episode should be called be still my dude. Like that's, yep. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> stand in one place for five minutes and we can avoid this whole catastrophe. Oh my God. Maybe that'll be my, like if we reach a thousand dollars on Patreon, I'll get that tattooed <laughs> somewhere. Just be still my dude. Cause it's a good reminder for me too. So yeah. Maybe I'll find some way to get that with, like, a cake knife. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Lauren. But then. What, ha- what happens next? Uh, Romano is scrubbing in with Lizzie because a patient is having seizures, and it's not good. And the patient's name is Gretel, and Romano rushes Lizzie in, and Shirley brings Gretel in, and it's Romano's dog. Big, beautiful pupper. I love this dog so much. Things. But also, just just Romano in this episode is just fucking excellent but yeah i love gretel she's great and i love shirley this episode shirley's fucking fantastic and this is like things that i did not remember were in this episode like i remember this happening i remembered the the Mm -hmm. operating on romano's dog thing and the whole kind of wackity schmackity of it all um i remember that being a thing and i remember dinah linney bringing it up when we talked to her about it Mm -hmm. and she was talking about how uh paul mccrane kind of didn't want to do this like paul yep. mccrane kind of fought back against this uh, when it was presented in the script of like i don't think that romano would do this and Shirley being or dinah being given a chance to say more than two words that weren't just somebody's blood pressure for a change in an episode was like dude shut the fuck up like i'm gonna get a chance to talk like just without a be mask. cool like because this is honestly one of the episodes maybe ever that Shirley gets kind of some shine like Shirley actually gets yeah. to do mm-hmm. some things in this episode we've yeah. had a lot of Shirley the past couple episodes it's been kind of yeah. nice Maybe the show's going through the change. Maybe. <laughs> uh, Lizzie, do you want to give our warning before yeah, this next one? So our next, uh, so our next scene here uh, that we're going to play audio for, um, it's Carter and Lucy doing the spinal tap on Paul. I will warn you, it is it is kind of hard to listen to. Like, 
Lauren's already taking her headphones off. That's that's totally cool. Um, but yeah, it's just if you're if you're squeamish, I'm mean, maybe not squeamish. Daniel, what would be the right uh, if word you're for... sensitive to yeah. uh, you know things involving shots and injections and people being in pain from said stimulus involuntary medical procedures yeah. it's just it's not sure. it's not great yeah all right anyway uh let's listen in to see what happens during this whole um roughly how long is the clip so okay yeah i'm oh, sorry the clip is uh one minute and 12 seconds long so skip ahead a minute and a half and you'll be back with us out of put them right out okay drop the lidocaine one and four for cell count protein and glucose in two and gram stain and culture in three you got it. Change over to a 27-gauge needle. I always do. Very good. Okay, I'm ready. What do I do? Hold him. What are you putting into me? Stop. Oh. Calm. Relax. It's okay. Just calm down. Calm down. It's all right. You're sticking me my back. Malik, give me another two. Add a van. Lucy, keep going. Oh, it'll be a traumatic tap. We'll get blood in the spinal fluid. All these going to get any easier. Okay, I feel some resistance. Just keep advancing. All right, I'm not getting any fluid. Did you feel pop? No. Keep going. I can't. Yes, you can. Stop, please. You're hurting me. Please stop. Right, check the stylet. All right, we got it. Paul, right. Paul, just relax. Just relax. Just relax. Hey, crystal clear. Good job. So we had a discussion about whether or not we should listen to that on the episode. And I came down on the side of we should, because this is why what happens at the end of, uh, end of the episode happens. Mm -hmm. Which I had never really thought of in that specific context. So I, yeah. Yeah. like, I mean, it, I guess it makes sense, sort of. I don't know. I guess... I guess it's a personal thing of well, like I that that the the idea of getting shots and stuff doesn't doesn't affect me on a on a visceral level the way it does some people so I could see where those two things would seem equivalent to somebody else. He explicitly says in the next episode they wouldn't stop sticking me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So and, <laughs> and also all the people he could have attacked and he waited for those two. Yeah. 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 So in his delusion from this moment it's 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 very easy to see this as the catalyst that stresses his system yeah. the rest of the way. Yep. Which just say like he was already like obviously like a little more incoherent and a little more altered for lack of a better word. Yeah. But this was what really like he becomes crystal clear after this, but like in a much more like sh oh shit kind of way. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's playing nice. Yeah. <sighs> We fast-forwarded through it the second time we watched this episode this week. Lizzie spared me because yeah. it's just, just no, the, just the screaming is just too much. Mm -hmm. Another perfect example, though, of, of this actor, David Crumholz, of his ability mm -hmm. to, you know, portray something like that. Like, he's he's really fucking good. Like, he is. Can can we stop having uh, involuntary uh, LPs on this show, please? This is, like, the second one that we've had, and I'm sick uh. of it. What was the first one? Uh, with the woman who had meningitis and she wouldn't consent to one, but Mark oh, did yeah. anyway. Oh, yeah, Mark carried her in. 
Mm-hmm. You got it. You got it. You're Ooh, right. Yeah. And I'm sure there's been others. This, this show is so long. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's been others too with children and stuff too. Like I'm sure, and I'm sure yeah. there will be more. Well, kids. Well, kids. It's like they can't consent. Their parents give the consent. So yeah, that's a whole other level right there. Yeah. But anyway, what 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 else? Oh boy, yeah. So go talk about your uh, early season tonal shifts. Going straight out of that, back to the uh, the dog situation up in surgery. Uh, where uh, Mr. Carrie Weaver uh, and Romano are talking about Gretel's breeding. Uh, and uh, the, every clearly everybody in this room other than Romano thinks it's so absurd that uh, they're operating on a dog. Uh, but it, when it's your boss, he can do whatever the fuck he wants. Um, and Romano replies, what would you have me do? Leave her to some poodle surgeon, which is an excellent line. That's, that's my favorite. It's really only because of the ability of, of him and... You know, every, everybody involved here selling it the way they do is why this works. Because on paper, the, I could totally see why Paul McCrane objected to this at first. Because on yeah. paper, this is an objectively stupid idea. But also a testament to how good Paul McCrane is because he sells right. this. He sells the shit out of it. And it, yeah. it's... So does everyone. Yeah, it's... But I'm saying when he had opposition to the to the story, yeah. he still... Right, he still... Well, I'm just saying, like, at, like in, in motion, it's comedic gold. Right. But, but on paper, it sounds like the drizzling shits. So, like, the fact that they were all able to pull it off, and like Lauren said, the fact that he was able to object to it, still, you know, get overruled or, or, or get shot down in his objection, and then still come out and give 110% on it is just a testament to him. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we go back down to Mark with Chen and Malucci. Uh, we find out that Dr. Hudson had a history of cancer, and it looks like it has come back. Uh, he's been in remission for 15 months and had un- undergone six cycles of chemo. Uh, yeah. Uh, he's at risk of some intracran- increased intracranial pressure. Uh, and Chen wants to do chemo. Malucci wants to do radiation. And neither one of them asked Dr. Hudson what he would like to do. Seems like a bit of a oversight in the treatment plan. And uh, Mark replies to the both of them that uh, he's going to go in there and talk to Dr. Hudson and talk and see what he would like to do and when they ask what he would like them to do he says you are to watch me and say nothing <laughs> i've missed teacher mark like yep i love teacher mark and i will say right now out of everything that happens in this episode this plot is probably my least favorite it just, i feel like yes teacher mark is great to have back and like there's some fun stuff but i just feel like with everything else going on yeah it's a it, fill, it's a filler yeah. story. Yeah, it, that's I've, fine. And but I'm just saying, like this is the one that does the least it, for me. Like every time this part was on, I was like, okay. It it does sort of feel a little bit extemporaneous, and I think it's because other than Mark, in a very peripheral way, it really doesn't feed the main story that much. The only thing I would say is that maybe on again on, with that rewatch capacity, you realizing how much the bickering between Chen and Malucci is keeping Mark away from being able to check up on Carter. Okay, that that makes me dig it a little bit more when you realize that Mark can't be involved, which we talk about next episode, yeah. because okay, yep, yeah, because he's babysitting these two chuckle fucks. All right, I got yeah. it now. Thank you. <laughs> ah, chuckle fucks. It's I love such it. a good word. I love that. Ah. Right up there with clusterfuck. That is just Chuck, chuckle fuck. Just feels friendlier though. <laughs> Not when you say it. <laughs> anyway, uh, Abby goes to check in on Mrs. Connolly. Her pressure is up, or yeah, her pressure's back up. 
and she's so she's being so sweet about how Yosh is, and Yosh gave her a card <laughs> because sweet baby Yosh deserves to be protected at all costs and is a beautiful sweet cinnamon roll. Yep. Uh, Abby get yeah Abby gets her sweater and Mrs. Connolly reminisces on how reminisces on how sweet her husband was on Valentine's Day and on her lapel she has a uh, be still my uh, pin is, does the pin say be yeah. still my heart mm-hmm. yeah yeah but yeah I love that she says that um you know her husband got her the same one the year before but it was so sweet she didn't care <laughs> and I love how Abby says uh, she had a husband but her husband uh, forgot that he was married <laughs> half the time <laughs> whoops. Ooh, which is a nice subtle way to just start laying Abby's backstory. Right. Yeah, because I forget if we get any of her of her yes ex husband before season before the season seven premiere. Yep, because in the next episode when Carrie comes in, she's on the phone about somebody not getting money that they needed. No, that's oh, it's. But do we meet him in person? Yeah, do we? Okay, meet no, him no, no. Sorry, we don't meet him. I'm sorry. Yeah. I thought you meant like, do we get any more nuggets? Because I have a very it. specific memory of of a scene where. That's in season seven. Anyway, I, moving uh, on. I apologize. I misunderstood. Um, but then Lucy has not been able to get a hold of Paul's wife. And she's telling him, like, okay, you're, you know, the tap came back clean. No meningitis. Everything's looking good there. He says, oh, you stuck me for nothing. Not great. <sighs> um, and he says he he's talking about needing to go back to the diner because that's where his books are. And um, he's talking about his paranoia remuggings because there's been more muggings on campus. And, you know, he has to park really far away. And, you know, he doesn't want to leave his books at the library. So he goes and studies at this diner. And um, Lucy starts kind of putting the pieces together here as the more he talks. And, like, if you're paying really close attention, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, some of the stuff he says just starts to sound, knowing what we know, <laughs> just starts to sound a little... Little, little much. F- the facade is falling. Yeah. So she wants to get a CT for but him. But not, not only is the facade falling, but it also sounds a li- like they basically telegraph the last scene of the episode. Like they, the mm-hmm. the situation or the scenario that he describes with somebody leaping out of the bushes at him is essentially mm-hmm. the last two minutes of this episode. Yeah, what he like, does. Yeah, yeah. He, he's, yeah. He is, at the end of the episode, he's living out his paranoid yeah. delusion. <sighs> yeah. But it, instead protecting himself um but then we go back up to gretel's surgery and we learn that babcock uh has worked on a hernia on a gorilla so that's cool um and lizzie's just talking about you know how much he cares and she says there's so much about you we don't know robert and then gretel starts having a seizure and they work to stabilize her i again going back to the interview thing (laughs) i just couldn't help it as i was watching this episode recounting uh laura in his talk the talking about what it was like to direct her husband in things because these are two characters that unless we missed something or unless we will miss something over the next you know nine seasons never actually interact on screen together like we will 25 years we, we will never see these two um uh on screen together and so it's always in a director actor capacity on this show and it was just a gem of an answer. I mean, the whole interview is a gem, and I can't wait for everybody to hear it. But that was one of my favorite answers in the whole thing, where she talks about how the two of them do not get along on set when they are, when one of them is directing the other, and how they just bicker but don't want to do it in front of people. <laughs> and so it's just just go into a closet and just have it um, out. It's oh my favorite. I just want to go watch West Wing now, knowing that. Oh yeah, like just. Mm. Anything that Laura Innes directs, I want to go watch now. 
Like, yeah. such a fan. But uh, Mark is telling Dr. Hudson about his what's going on with him and what the sta- radiation is the standard of care, but there are increased risks of side effects. Like, um, Dr. Hudson is like, oh, yeah, no, like one of my friends had that done and he still died, but he couldn't eat. But he couldn't eat because like the radiation was like rotting out his jaw or some some shit like that. Um, yeah. Either way, not fun. Um, and Lauren posed the question of, of wouldn't this be handled by an oncologist, not ER staff? And I respond to that by saying it seems like the, it needs to be immediately treated. So like, or very uh, urgently needs to be treated. So I think they're just sort of like laying out what he wants to do and then they can send him up to oncology. But they treat him down here. Because they have no choice. Uh, but I'm just saying, like, they would at some yeah. point at least have called somebody for a consult. I just, it, it, it goes back to very much love's labor loss for yeah. me, but that's only because of that damn book <laughs> Daniel and I are working on that it just, this shit sticks out to me right. way more. I think you could also make, uh, for the for the sake of the show, we don't really know any of the oncologists. I was just going to so say, like, really... oncology is one yeah. of the departments in the hospital that over the course of the entire 15 seasons, you learn the least about. Right. And so from that standpoint, it makes sense. They don't want to cast somebody just for this. But holy shit, Mark would not be doing this treatment plan. Right. Yeah. No, yeah. no, I'm no, saying. you're absolutely right. And and having read that book, it, that, that is one of those things that they would have like railed about is that he wouldn't have yeah. had anything to do with this in a normal hospital. Um, Queen of pedantic takes. But yeah, here. like we, we just and I think and I'm trying to like work it out in my head of why they, cause they were so good about the details with everything else. Like I wonder why they wouldn't have gone to the trouble of casting a go-to oncologist. And the only thing I can think of is that oncology by its nature is such a like prolonged specialty. Like they are usually mm-hmm. caring for somebody for weeks, months, maybe even years at a time. Whereas the nature of an ER and the nature of the kind of stories you would expect to be told in a show like ER is much more short term. Like we're, we want to yeah. like the longest we're going to spend with any one patient or with any one outcome is like a couple of weeks. So it doesn't make sense for them to delve into the oncology side of things when you could be talking about years for a single patient. All right. Yeah. The most we get for that is like the radiology. Right. Yeah. So he, he chooses to go with chemotherapy and says, you know, if I've only got a year, if I've only got a year left, I at least want to be able to eat. Again, totally fair. That's totally fair. We then see Lucy talking with one of Paul's classmates. Uh, she's they're walking out or walking in from out in the ambulance bay. Uh, so she's found this guy somewhere. It's never fully explained where or how they come to find him. I think I think he says something about I heard he was here, so I came to check. Yeah, it's it's something very like flim- I mean, it's but, essentially this guy yeah. who never even gets a name. By the way, he's credited in right. the in the credits as Paul's friend, uh, and. He might as well be named, you know, fucking exposition because that's all he's here for yeah. is just to give us a little bit of background on what Paul's uh, school and personal life has been like of late, where he's saying that, you know, Paul's been wearing the same clothes a lot, not coming to classes, picking fights with his classmates. Other than picking fights with his classmates, he's basically describing my sophomore year of college. Uh, but, like, you know, so, I mean, it's just... He, he's given us a little bit of insight into what Paul's mindset has been like lately. Uh, not great. And he al- he also says it's very strange because Paul was so, like, high-achieving. Right, that they were, the they were in undergrad. Like, this is new. Yeah, they were in undergrad together and that Paul always did very well. 
and this has been a new development. I think he's law, a law student, right? That's his, his yeah. thing. Yeah. So, Hey, law school is a bitch. I, we watched Jake go through some of it. <laughs> like it's law school will fucking grind you down to dust. So I get it. Uh, but we go from there to uh, Mrs. Connolly, who is crashing, and uh, Yosh and Abby are in the room working on her. And uh, Abby has this moment of hesitation where she's not quite sure exactly what it is she wants to do because she's not used to being the doctor in this situation. And we get this very excellent tight shot on Yosh where he's looking across the gurney at Abby and is just like very plainly, matter-of-factly, what do you want to do? And it's just a excellent little character moment. And uh, Lucy is telling Car- uh, Carter that Paul might be psychotic, so she's putting the pieces together. She's being she, a doctor. Yeah, she's right. Th- she's right on the money. Um, but Carter brushes her off to go talk. Uh, brushes her off. She's like, "Not, no, not now. Like, I need to be over here." Yeah, he's like, "Okay, call psych." Yeah, call psych and deal with it. Um, yeah, he brushes her off to go talk to Abby and she. Abby and to check on Mrs. Connolly and talks Abby through the train of thought of where her continued care can lead because she has stated that she doesn't want any like heroic measures like being on a ventilator or any sort of life support. But Abby's like, no, dopamine's not a dopamine's not in a whatchamacallit. A uh life saving Yeah. Yeah. It's not a it's not a it's not a resuscitative. Yeah, resuscitative. There you go. Um, and then we see Paul is up and arguing with his classmate in the hall. Uh, Carter and Malik have Paul get back into bed. Not great. Um, and he's like, I will as long as he's not there. So that's not cool. Um, we see Dr. Hudson is altered and unconscious now. And Chen jumps in to intubate and Mark takes over. It looks like the intracranial pressure has built up. Um, then we go back. Lucy checks on Paul and he's complaining of being really tired all of a sudden. Kind of avoidant. And Lucy here tells Carter specifically that she suspects that he's schizophrenic. Uh, Again, it's like we're back to the last season with the two of them. And Carter's like, okay, no, let's really get a psych consult down. Why are you waiting? She said, well, I was waiting to present to you. He's like, okay, well, Like she's supposed to. We'll fucking get it. Um, So, Jesus, you piece of trash, Carter. (laughs) Um, And then Mrs. Connolly is having trouble breathing she says she has rails and her pulse ox is down to 79 and carter says yeah it's from all the fluids you gave her fucking flooded her lungs carter you are just i think it's rawls yeah rawls probably and i just can't type no i think you spelled um, it right but i think it's just pronounced rawls. you spelled it okay yeah. well rawls my bad um rawls y'all <laughs> but um Carter pulls Abby aside and says, you know, she's an elderly woman with multiple organ failure. You may never be able to extubate. Like, stop thinking in extremes here. Yeah. Which is great because this is something that Carter had to learn very hard. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. totally makes sense that he's trying to help her not make his mistakes. But I'm just so mad at Carter this episode that I almost can't even compliment him for this. It's the most frustrating part of this episode is that he's so right. With, with Abby, Abby. Mm-hmm. but he's so wrong with Lucy. I mean, it, it is sort of slightly, uh, you know, indicative of kind of the attitude of the show at large at this point, where we're sort of crumpling up Lucy and tossing her in the trash by the end of this episode, and we are now we now have the new shiny toy of Abby, where we're yeah. going to carry forward with this. You know, it's kind of not not that it wasn't you know designed that way. I mean, 
Kelly Martin made it clear she was ready to go. She was her choice, you know, so it's not that they're getting rid of her in the sense of like, she's not good enough and we'd rather have Abby and more tyranny instead. It's just, this is the way the wind is blowing at the moment. And it's a little bit, it is just sort of like stark when you're watching it again of just like, man, they really have shifted gears completely of like, okay, we're going to be, it's just nice that I will say that I, the, the one thing I do like about it is that they don't genie boulet Lucy like, cause it would it would have been yeah. very mm-hmm. easy to just kind of let Lucy fade away, and let her get matched to another hospital, do a Harper thing, and mm-hmm. let her you know disappear quietly. Whereas here, they at least let her go out with an absolute fucking banger. Like we abs- we get a moment yeah. that sticks with you twenty two years later. It's the anti. Yeah, like yeah, exactly. This is as far away from a Bob <laughs> as you could possibly get. I. I told one of my colleagues that this was the episode we were doing tonight and she was like an appointment viewer for ER when it was on and the minute I told her she was like oh my god I can picture it right now I've just got chills <laughs> yeah. ah, like so it's like it, it is one of those I mean we will get into it when we get to the wall of listener responses at the end um, that you know I think it's Aaron who describes it as it's one of those moments that in other parts of our society we talk about is like, you remember where you were and what you were doing when you watched it. Like you, when you saw it, you remember it, it is for television. There are a select few moments that you can really instantly recall what you were doing and, and what it made you feel like the first time you saw something. And this is one of those, um, one of those episodes. And I would just want to point out on a technical note in this scene here with Mrs. Connolly at twenty one thirty three, we get some truly horrific ADR work uh like it sounds like Carter's fucking haunted it is I wish I pulled a clip of it because it's just brutal like normally when they which they don't actually do ADR stuff that often or at least if they do they do a really really good job of covering up for it but this one's really bad like this one the only thing that I have to compare it to is um back in season one like first half of season one there's uh this thing where a patient's wife dies in a car accident and Benton is having to tell the husband that the wife has died and they must've like changed course halfway through and decided that the wife needed to die because the words that come out of Benton's mouth do not match what his lips are doing. And Mm. this is very similar. The only thing that saves it is that Carter's not facing the camera when he says the line, but the like sound levels don't match. It sounds like he's in a different room the whole thing just sounds like fucking haunted and I just hated it. So 2133, just truly, truly horrific ADR work. And then from there, uh, we learn that we have a multiple trauma coming in. Not much happens with it right now, but Hale just lets everybody know that shit's coming. All right. So uh, before we get into some Jesus Christ, holy shit, un- unrelenting sadness, uh, let's have a little bit of a fun audio clip. Uh, Gretel is being wheeled into recovery with the surgical team when uh, Corday's mom shows up. Watch out for the rebound phenomenon with the glucose. Don't you worry, we'll monitor her closely. Does Gretel have insurance? I think we've had enough jokes for one day, Elizabeth. I wasn't joking, I understand certain vets offer. My God. Oh, Elizabeth, there you are. I visited nearly every department looking for you. Good heavens. Mother, this is Dr. Robert Romano. Um, Robert, this is my mother, Isabel Corday. She's visiting from London. Well, Lizzie, uh, Lizzie never mentioned a thing. Uh, but it's a pleasure. Likewise. 
Well, this, I take it, is not the laser angioplasty. Uh, no, no, this is uh, Gretel, who has been suffering from an insulinoma, but uh, thanks to a brilliant assist by your daughter, she's going to be just fine. Yes, well, I know how hard Elizabeth trained. Mother, perhaps we oh, should How are you go... enjoying your trip to Chicago? I'm here for a series of lectures. Adaptive optics, wave-particle duality. <laughs> I don't know why you'd want to tax your mind with all that gobbledygook. We have a wonderful city, great shopping. I'm giving the lectures. Well, I should probably get Gretel settled in recovery. It's very nice meeting you. Please don't ask about the dog. Wouldn't dream of it. Was it an old English? Bouvier. Uh, I'm being paged to the ER. Oh, I don't think I've seen that yet. Good. <laughs> uh, anyway, i got to go over here now. This should not work as well as it does in this episode. Like, It's perfect. It really it's is. It's perfect. Like, this is really just this should stick out like a sore thumb. We should be banging the table and going, get this out of here. This doesn't work. And yet it it works. Why would you tax your mind with such things? <laughs> How very 1950s of you, Robert. Uh, tax your mind with such gobbledygook. And the the physical comedy stuff at the beginning, too, with the sheets, like flipping yeah. the sheets and like trying to keep it, trying to keep the dog hidden. Uh, just impeccable. Oh, boy. OK, well, where were we? Ah, yes. The pit of despair. Uh, we get our next trauma coming in, uh, an MVA mom, dad, and two kids. Uh, kids are pretty okay, but the parents are a mess. Uh, and, uh, the kids immediately get passed off on Hale, which is, uh, always the move. Like, you should always just do that. Always pair children with Hale whenever possible. Uh, our two kids here, uh, one far more recognizable than the other. Uh, little Julia, the daughter, uh, is played by actress Megan Corletto, who um, seems like didn't stick with acting into adulthood, only had kind of bit roles as a child, uh, but was in stuff like One Hour Photo, X-Files, and Charmed. Uh, and our boy here, Robbie, played by little tiny baby Anton Yelchin. Uh who, uh, of course, appeared in stuff like... Uh, I think this might be his first credited role, actually. Like, mm. this is... If it's not his first, it's one of his first. He's very, very small. I think he's 11 in this episode. Um, but he... Uh, so let's see how he got the role of Chekhov, just based on... Yep. Based on this. Star Trek 09, of course. Uh, Green Room and Charlie Bartlett, which is where I first saw him. I saw that movie in theaters. Um, and, yeah. Uh, definitely one taken away from us far too soon. Uh <sighs> He passed away in 2016. Uh, total just freak accident, you know, just something that was, uh, no, I mean, it was just, what more can you say? I mean, it was just a horrible, horrible tragedy that yeah. took a really talented actor away from all of us much, much too soon. Mm -hmm. I think he was 27 when he died, mm -hmm. 26, like 27. That. So, I mean, just, ugh just an awful tragedy i'm not going to go into the gory details here but just yeah just suffice to say that it was really sad and uh probably avoidable and not not to say that he did anything wrong but just like it had it not been for some negligence on big corporations as usual fucking yeah. big corporate car corporation if a big corporation had just fucking done its job uh maybe we would still have uh anton yelchin to enjoy but we don't uh, but we will be seeing more of Robbie here, uh, much much like we do here in the next scene where he says that a car hit them really fast. And uh, he's very like they s clearly somebody. I don't know if it's John Levy or whoever it was that cast little Anton Yelchin. Is, somebody clearly knows that he's very talented because they like zoom in on him immediately and let him kind of drive this 
next couple of scenes um, where he's kind of darting his eyes around watching what's going on with all the patients. Um, Dad had to be extricated from the car uh, and Lizzie's mom gets to see Elizabeth riding the gurney into the trauma doing CPR, which is a hell of a visual. Um, Cleo is working on the kids and of course they keep asking about getting to see their parents. So yikes. Yeah. Robbie's like the oldest 11 year old Mm -hmm. I've ever seen in my entire Mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. It's, it's the, it's the dress shirt with the sweater vest over it that really makes him look like he's 50. Yeah. And just how like calm Mm -hmm. and eloquent he is throughout the entire thing. His Mm -hmm. face, his face is so expressive. Like Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, well, let's go into the tra- to the trauma rooms. Um, Carol and Luca are with the mom, and it's not looking very good. Uh, Corday and Benson are handling the dad. Both are going south quite, quite fast. The little girl, Julia, leaves the peds room to find out where her mom is being worked on, and mom start- is bleeding out real bad, and they very quickly call time of death. Um, and Luca asks Chuni to make sure she's cleaned up right away, just... So they can, if the kids want to see him, then, uh, and then Benton has Lily stop compressions on the dad. Not two minutes later, they call time of death on the father. Mm-hmm. So and Luca offers to talk to the kids with Carol. And I want to make one note on the little girl. She does not walk into the trauma room. Yeah. She is grabbed before she sees any of this. Yeah. Yeah. She sees a little bit. She's like, she's like the legs. Yeah. But legs aren't really mangled. So yeah. mm-hmm. she's like, goes to stand on her tiptoes and she's scooped up right away. Yeah. By Cleo. And we get a very like knowing glance exchange between Benton and Cleo, uh, and Cleo as well. Like we get a very quick like glance between the two of them, and mm-hmm. Benton Benton essentially makes it clear that it's not going well and that it's not likely to have a positive outcome. Right. Um, but then we go over. Luca and Carol are going to talk to Robbie and Julia in Peds after letting Cleo know what happened, and. Carol asks Soleil to please stay in the room with them because she's kind of been, you know, a familiar face for this 20 minutes that they've been in the ER. Um, Robbie asks to see the parents, and Luca does such a good job, again, explaining to the kids what the parents will look like with all the tubes. He did this for another little girl in his first episode. Mm-hmm. And it's just, oh, I love how well he, like, treats them fairly and is like, hey, this is why they've got all these tubes. They're going to look scratched up. Like, just mm, so good, Luca. You're doing great. And then we go to the most heart-wrenching scene ever of Robbie looking in at his dad. Um, it's such a well-done shot. And Julia runs back into Halei's arms. And Halei's like, I got her, I got her. And so yeah. Carol and um, Carol and Luca can keep an eye on Robbie. And Robbie then goes into his mom. And he hugs her. And my heart shatters. And Lizzie cries. Mm-hmm. Didn't give me the first time, but our second watch through, it's just like, god damn. Yeah. I also... Love, 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 love when adults treat children in stressful in traumatic situations like people. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. allowing Robbie to have this those feelings. Yeah, to be able to say goodbye and to, you know, know that's no, it's this thing has happened. You know, life is gonna be changed, but you know, process your trauma yeah exactly it allows him to allows him to get a jump start on processing the trauma uh daniel do you want to 180 <laughs> us into what you yeah. found 
Oh, man. Talk about your tonal shifts. Uh, anybody catch Laura Innes' brief appearance in this episode, in this scene? We did. Uh, I, I didn't the first two watch-throughs because yeah. we were so busy staring at Anton Yelchin, but once you pointed it out to us, we went back and laughed our asses <laughs> off. So, yeah, so as they are tracking through the trauma rooms, they go. it's a beautiful one-shot where they, they track through the trauma rooms. We follow, or actually, I guess Robbie is following the camera because it's in front of him as he goes from one trauma room to the next and Luca and Carol are kind of trailing behind. And as he comes through the door of the one trauma room into the other, Luca and Carol come into the shot and right between them in the background is little baby Laura Innes just crouched down on the floor and seemingly must know she's on camera at that point because she's quick. She giggles. She kind of, yeah, she kind of giggles and kind of scurries away into the next room like it, she tries to like hide behind the gurney in the room it's like i didn't catch it on my first i knew this happened at some point like i knew that there was a an episode where laura innes directed and she's caught on camera i knew that was the thing i didn't realize it was this episode and i didn't realize it was this scene <laughs> and so going back and looking for it and finding it, I was so happy. Like I, it just brought me so much joy in a, at a moment when I really needed it, because this is obviously a very heavy episode too. It was, it was like a friend waving hello. And yes. And like you said, it's the reaction. It's the little giggle. Like it's the little fact that like, she has to know that she's on camera. Like she, she she's staring right down the barrel practically. It's it's that reality shattering the fourth wall for a second in the middle of such a tense scene. Right. You just all of a sudden see this and you're like, okay, it's okay. And it's I, I think it's funny also, too, because of the fact that she's not in the episode anywhere else. Like, yes. she is not in this episode at all. And the fact that... It's you, not even like we can write it off that Carrie's picking something up because she's not in her costume. She's not... Right. It's it's it, that right. That's not Carrie. That's Laura. Like L- Laura yeah. is crouched down on the floor there. Carrie's off today. It was just such a, a bright shining moment in this otherwise very sad episode and very sad somber moment that was just uh, it brought so much joy to my heart watching it. Um, so the the timestamp on that, if you want to go back and look for it for yourself, is thirty two thirty, and she is right there, smack in the middle of the frame. Cannot miss her. It's just it's perfect. Uh, But we go from there for now uh, back to Dr. Hudson, who is uh, starting to make some purposeful movements. Uh, So Mark goes to check on him and it is time to extubate him. And uh, this is not only is it does it seem like Mark shouldn't really be involved in the uh, extended treatment process of this, but it also seems like a little bit of a hand wavy sort of attitude towards this whole uh, treatment course where this one course of radiation delivered over the course of like an hour in an ER has seemingly alleviated all of his symptoms and we're good to go. Uh, So, okay. Like it's just, it's a little bit of hand waviness uh, in, in which granted that's to be expected in a dense episode like this. You're not going to be able to Mm -hmm. devote tons of time to every single storyline. There's still only 45 minutes in the episode, but Lizzie, I'm sorry. I'm ruining your favorite show. (laughs) I mean, it's with all the, with all these, reality things seeping in it's bound to happen we've been sitting here for the last five and a half seasons now and just yeah (laughs) i it's fine it's it's fine uh but do you need a new co-host that isn't me 
Yeah, you're good. All right. But we do get a very excellent line from Mark here where he says, do you know why I only had one child? Because I didn't want to listen to two of them arguing in the backseat of the car, which is especially given what we know about Mark's attitudes towards parenting at this point Mm -hmm. in Rachel's development. It's like uh, a very, very telling line, especially considering what's going to happen pretty soon uh, for old Marky Marky Mark. So. Marky Mark. Oh, yeah, because I love how Chen's like, I was right. Yeah. No Should have been this. No one cares. Yep. It's a filler storyline. Yep. Move on. But then uh, Lizzie is asking Mark if he's seen her mom, and he says, yeah, she is great. We had a chance to talk. We're doing a double date tonight. My dad's coming. It'll be great. We're all going to dinner. Everything's going to be lovely. And uh, he seems to say that the mom convinced him that this was a good idea. But then Lizzie goes to check on her mom at Doc Magoo's, and uh, mom says that Mark had a way about him and that he planned this. And uh, Lizzie's mom also says, you know, I didn't realize this was what you did. And like she gets some great validation from her mom that she's really kicking ass and saving lives. But I just love this whole double date thing that everybody thinks it was somebody else's idea. So Lucy goes in the lounge and Paul is there. He said he was looking for coffee and the nurse wasn't around. Couldn't find anyone to help him. Uh, and she tells him to go back to bed, and we see Chuni get down a blue heart cake. And she and Lydia joke about it being the wrong size and the wrong color, but it's a heart shape. Yeah, it's cute. And weren't they like, don't don't we have a knife in here to cut this with? And Chuni goes, oh, I couldn't find it. And I want to note, he is wearing an oversized robe here on top of his scrubs, And it would not be inconceivable that this is where he grabs the knife and hides it under his robe for later until he can make his chance. I would love to know where he got the robe. (laughs) Like, yeah, that's that's also the other thing. Where does he get the robe from? Yeah, who knows? Maybe maybe he was cold and somebody grabbed it from Lost and Found or something. Maybe, but I I don't know. But but But, I mean, it is one of those questions again. Like it it it's not brought in with him. They would probably make a point of not giving a psych patient a robe uh, because of the the ties. ties. yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. Like, it just, it bears asking. But but I think he's in the lounge where we know the knife should have oh, been. I, oh, Chuni's, I unquestionably. Yeah, she couldn't find the knife. Right. Well, I was just saying, because we were talking about this, and Lizzie said she had never considered that this was where he got it from. So, I was just like, ha-ha. Yeah. I, I put something together. I, I unquestionably think that that is what we're meant to take away from this, is that this is where he gets it. Which is another point in the favor of this is an episode meant to be rewatched. Like, yeah. this is an episode that is meant to kind of, like, very sixth sense of, like, you're supposed to go through and yeah. find all the little breadcrumbs where they were they were red, red alert flare, blaring at you the whole time of, like... Which, listener note, Lizzie and I still haven't watched Sixth Sense. I still keep bringing it up, and we still haven't gotten around to it. We'll get there. Yep. All right, let's go over to uh, the restaurant where Mark and his dad are outside. Uh, note, there is an interstitial how do you use interstitial like there is an interstitial that's my understanding yeah you can say there's an interstitial part here but yeah there's there's a little bit of carter and lucy in here too so yeah come on dad they are waiting i don't like being set up you're not being set up it is freezing out here i imagine this was elizabeth's idea not that i don't like her dad it's just dinner mark this is not my first barbecue for God's sakes, your mother hasn't been gone for five months. Okay, fine. You stay here. I'm going in. She's a Brit, too, huh? Yeah, Dad, she's British. We should have had him over to our house. We could have played that Tom Jones album. Would you rather just go home? 
Lucy. I'll be right back. What happened to Sykes? I called them twice. They're backed up. Listen, I don't want to be on your case, but you got to pick up Look, some other patients. I just found him in the lounge. I'm Have you suited the leg lack yet? I've got the chart right here. Good. Let Malik way. stay with this Malik, guy. Malik, just forget it, Carter. You know, my father's convinced that this was your idea. My mother thinks it was yours. I tell you, she was straddling the patient, pumping on his chest. That's nothing. Mark saved this chopper pilot down in San Diego last year. Kid had a tension pneumatic, something. Shoved a tube right in the side of his chest. I, I saw Elizabeth put a tube right down a man's throat. I should think that's more difficult than putting it into his chest. How's it going? Yeah, but we're talking about a whole Corps of Navy pilots. Elizabeth was trying to save an entire family. So you're getting on well? Oh, absolutely. Couldn't be better. My what the hell? It's one of those places where people sing along. You mean like a karaoke thing? Well, uh, not really. Kind of. It's too bad they couldn't get someone good. <laughs> okay, so I, I got I got that middle part in there with Carter and Lucy because it's the last, the last thing. Lucy ever says to Carter. Yep. But I think that's, I think, looking at the notes here, just glancing, I think it's the last thing Lucy ever says that we hear. No. No? Nope. Next episode, she has two words. Actually spoken or just mouthed? No, actually, you, she, there's an audible sound okay. that she makes. All right, yeah, fair she... enough. But yeah, uh, it is it is certainly a notable thing to, to hear. It's... <sighs> and contrasted with you know the happiness that is the other half like mm-hmm. that's what makes it so much more fraught like because the parents are absolutely adorable and I yeah, love they them. are and can i tell you what's great about this is this is two parents that have clearly been estranged from their children in a very very big way based off how Elizabeth and Mark both talk about their parents mm-hmm. and what we've seen of Mark and his dad. So for them to walk over and see their parents bragging about each other, like bragging about them to each other yeah. must feel so good in that moment. Mm-hmm. And also just Mark's dad just being so nervous, like mm-hmm. he's being set up on a date. <laughs> like, oh, like your mom's been gone five months. Just like, it's not a date. You're just you're just going for dinner. I, I, it's okay, David. I love the continuity bit, too, that he brings up the uh, the bit from, was it Family Practice? Uh, when he when Mark was in San Diego and we had that whole trauma scene in yeah. the hospital. Like, that was just a nice little continuity bit. I also, I am very much David, because I would have been like, yeah, can't we just go home and listen to the Tom Jones record? <laughs> do, we, do we have to go out? Can we just stay in? I, we can eat dinner at home. It's fine. Mm. So I just, I am David Green, except without the singing talent, but we'll get there. But yeah, when you pointed out that that was the last thing she said to Carter, Lizzie, mm-hmm. I about shit my pants. I was just like, that is, that is not okay. Mm. Just, and mm. yeah, here we are. Mm. <laughs> Can we just not do this last <laughs> 10 minutes? Um, are, are we good on that audio yeah, clip, fam? Okay. So then we go over to Shirley is checking on Robert, who is just hanging out with Gretel, giving her some smoochies, making sure she's okay. And um, Robert says something really kind of endearing, which I know Jake will disagree with me on until the end of the earth that Robert Romano cannot be a human. But he says, you know, I live alone. When I come home, it's just Gretel. Like, this dog is his life. Of course he's going to go above and beyond for her because he doesn't connect to humans well. He's an asshole and he doesn't make meaningful relationships with humans. So of course all he has is his dog. He's the male version of a crazy cat lady. Like, 
this is just this is just who he has. Crazy pupper man. Yes, crazy pupper man. And uh, Shirley does scold him for trying to give Gretel a treat because she is still, um, oh my god, what's the term? NPO. What is it? NPO. NPO. No food, basically no yeah. no eating or drinking until yeah. she, until Gretel passes gas. Yeah, and she's like, has, has she passed gas yet? No. Well, then give me the biscuit, Dr. Romano. And I love it because the minute she takes the biscuit and walks out, I didn't notice it the first time. When we watched it the second time, I saw him sneak another one out of his pocket to give to her right <laughs> yeah, away. Yeah, very sneakily break it in half and just puts his, put his, his like co- yeah. semi-covered hand. It's so sweet. Mm. Uh, all right, so let's get one more uh, big little moment, of, uh, big little moment of levity. Uh, you want to hear David Green singing? Yes. Away out here, they caught a name for wind and rain and fire. The rain is Tess, the fire is Joe, and they call the wind Lovely voice. Can you sing, Mark? Nope. I think it's When I was a kid, he used to do this kind of thing just to embarrass me. Some parents don't try to embarrass their children. It's too easy to do by accident. <laughs> he is pretty fearless. Love that John Cullum gets to flex the Broadway muscles. I know, episode. I adore Just it. When you have his entire character before this, and then he's belting out that, it's just so perfect. I love it's it. It's so perfect. I love it. Because you see a little bit of the life that he must have had with Ruth, right? Yeah. And you see a little bit of like why Mark's mom fell in love with him. Mm-hmm. By them talking about this music phase, by him getting to get drunk and express himself like this, like you see, like okay, it's not all Mark's side of the story, right? Exactly, yeah. And Mark and Mark right. is learning that too because he hasn't really gotten to see this guy in probably a long time. Like this version of his dad, his dad has always been the grumpy guy in the garage his entire adult life, so he's rediscovering and, him too. And I love when he says, "What fearless." Or he, you know, he's pretty brave or pretty fearless to do this. It's just like, yeah, I, so I good. love the take from Mark too when they're like, "Can you sing?" Nope, nope. Like, yeah. uh, we'll find that out next episode. Oh Jesus! Um, but I also, I was looking after this. I went down a rabbit hole on YouTube and was trying to find some good John Cullum performances. So if any of you listeners have some favorite John Cullum performances on YouTube or anywhere else, send them my yeah. way because I'm a, I love show tunes. Please, please. Just send my, them to me. My entire favorite performance is just him and Mad Men saying, it's toasted. <laughs> it's toasted. I know, I know somebody brought it up when he first um, showed mm-hmm. up. Somebody, you know, rightfully took us to task in the comment section yep. for not talking enough about his Broadway experience. Broadway. So whoever that person is, if you're still listening, please bring that stuff back to our attention and, like, give us the highlights because I would love to dig into some of the live stage performance work of John Cullum because he is – crazy talented a beast yeah crazy crazy yep. talented uh so we go from there back to abby with mrs Connolly. uh you know at this point she's pretty much you know they're just making her comfortable at this point carter assures abby that she's not in any pain and mrs Connolly eventually flatlines and abby calls time of death 
And then she says the titular line after the fact, like after she's gone, she's kind of fighting back tears and she says, be still my heart. It, for me personally, this is admittedly a minor gripe. I would have not, but I would have, to me, it felt a little on the nose and it felt a little bit schmaltzy where we didn't need it. If so, if I were editing this episode, I probably would have cut that line, but it's fine. It's just, you know, minor gripe. Um, but yeah, Mrs. Connolly has passed, and then we go back. It's her. T- I, th- I saw it as her taking to heart her first, you know, difficult. Death sure. Yeah, yeah. In what's in the first in a series of God knows how many you see over the course of what is it going to be like nine years? Yeah. She's in the mm-hmm. ER for yeah. Either, like, as, yeah. either as a nurse or a doctor. She may have lost them as an OB nurse before, but it's going to be much different down in the ER where she's calling more of the shots and having more of that independence and losing yeah. people. Right. Yeah. Like I said, it, it's a kind of a, you know, you could go either way with it. Uh, but we go back to the dinner where David and Elizabeth's mom are now singing together up on stage. Uh, and uh, we get some nice... Nice moments between Lizzie and Mark here where she's talking about how her mom taught her about independence uh, with the the movie that they're singing the song. I can't remember what the name of the movie is that they're, the song is from, but um, it's just a very sweet moment between the two of them. And I think it's uh, – is it Mark or Lizzie who says this line, Lauren? Um, it's Mark. Mark. I think – and I think I think the film is uh, Gigi. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. Um. And Mark says to Lizzie, I don't think I can handle this evening getting any more bizarre, which is both a sweet sentiment and also a just stark bit of foreshadowing for us as the audience of of how much fucking more bizarre their evening is about to get that they don't know. Hey. All right. So we've come to the final two up ep- to the final two episodes, the final two scenes of the episode. See, I just don't want to I just don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Well, this, this this first part's totally this first part's pretty Okay. Uh, Carter's up on the roof with Abby, so let's listen in. You know there's warmer places to be alone. There's the furnace room in the basement, and uh, the incubator's up in the NICU. I'd like to see you in an incubator in the NICU. (laughs) I'm happy to try. (sighs) Well, you know, all those years as an OB nurse, 98% 98% of what you see is just pure joy. You know, it's the happiest day of most people's lives. And um, the tragedy is horrible because it's a life cut short. And it's a mom, a baby. Sure. Today was the first day I saw an old person die, and I guess I'm just not used to it. Well, you want the good news or the bad news? Give me the bad. You never get used to it. The good news is you never get used to it. At least I haven't. So you may have come up here to be alone, but you're not. (laughs) So they're having a Valentine's Day party. You think they started without us? (laughs) I certainly hope not. Heads will roll. I just tensed up at the end. Yeah, I did too. I did the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, but I think this is the start of a beautiful friendship slash relationship. I like them together. 
I think, like you said, it will develop into a beautiful friendship. They have some bumpy things, but where they end up, I think, is fantastic. Yes. Uh, can we delay this any further? Does anybody want to talk about the uh, weather? Uh, uh, do do we do we want to do GG politics? As a, um... Should we debate abortion? Maybe the death penalty. Uh, yeah, okay. what... I, I can make you guys watch show tunes. We can watch Gigi as a, If there was um... ever a time to get me to watch Lord of the Rings, this is it, Lauren. So you better Daniel, seize you your opportunity. Suicide. Uh, <laughs> uh, what about what about weapon durability mechanics? Let's talk about yeah, that. Okay. Okay. Yeah, let's do a whole episode on that right now. Okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. Our last audio clip here. Uh, I will warn you, it is a bit loud. So mm-hmm. adjust your volumes accordingly. Um, probably gonna be louder unless Daniel does his best to correct it. But uh, loud music playing the entire rest of the way. Uh, it's time for that Valentine's Day party. So, this is your Valentine's Day party. Last thing, that's my first one. I think we have a bigger knife in the lounge. Couldn't find it. Wow, it's a lot more fun than OB. Yeah, we like to party down here in the ER. Oh, Lucy didn't suit you that leg lack yet? This guy's been here for four hours. Where is she? Still waiting on site consult and patients in curtain three. Wasn't sure you'd make it. Yeah, wow, well, who could resist blue cake? Yep. The patients don't mind this music? What? say before we get into the meat of this i hate how catchy that song is i know i refuse to know the name of it though because i will want to like listen to it it comes up several times in the listener responses so you're gonna learn it whether you want to or not uh oh well it's so very of its moment too though like i don't think i don't think that if this episode came out six months earlier or six months later that would have been the song they chose like this is a very much an early 2000 song (laughs) that was just very like that was the sound of music at about this time (laughs) that i just i mean it's sound of dance music at least it's it's somehow i think part of it is that like it's it's become so indelibly linked with this moment that i just anything else would sound weird but i think if you were to show somebody cold this 
who'd never watched ER has no emotional connection to any of these characters. Doesn't ha- doesn't have all the build up couched in this moment. I think they would think that's a weird choice for this to score this scene mm-hmm. with. It's a very strange choice to score this scene with. It's too upbeat. It's weirdly like techno dance, very 1999, 2000. And, and, but it, it does. Works. It works. I can't. For the life of me, explain why. Like to any rational person, this makes no sense. I think think you did. It's upbeat. It highlights the terror of what's happening where nobody's finding it. Yeah. It's it's just it's it's that um that Hitchcock horror of just the warped and the slightly off. Mm -hmm. It just plays with your expectations. Right. And and it and it also serves a narrative purpose too, just to remind the audience, oh yeah, there's a loud ass party. Right. This is going on. It's diegetic. No one knows what's going on. I like yeah, I like the 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 little bit of artistic license they do take with it. I do like when Carter's walking down the hall the sound is muted or, or it's, or it's fading. It's, it's fading yeah. as he's walking down the hall. And then as soon as it's not even when he enters the room, it's when the knife goes in, as soon yeah. as the knife goes in, the music comes back in full force. Also. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Dave. No, I'm done. I cut you off. Um, the other Hitchcock thing, when he walks into that room and you just see the arm mm-hmm. on the side and mm-hmm. it's just something you could so easily miss. That's my favorite kind of horror. So this hits a very specific chef's kiss for me. Yeah. Which is when I so said good. when I said earlier you should make sure you watch this in high definition widescreen. It's I was thinking specifically of that because I'm not sure four by three full screen standard definition you might have it might have been much harder to it, catch. Oh, it that. definitely would have been easy to miss for sure. I think it would have been yeah. easy. I think it's probably in there. Uh, not having yeah. no way to verify that i think it's probably in there but it would have been very easy to miss particularly on a standard definition tv yeah we can we can throw the dvds on our crtv and see <laughs> if DVD, we, yeah, yeah. dvd player our four three D, uh crtv uh and see if it's easier to tell that way but yeah holy shit and, and the just all of it the builds so well together the choice as laura talks about in her interview which i how many times can i reference that once in a single episode uh talked a lot about this yeah we did this, we, i mean it's episode. it's it's a big moment and and what a like vote of confidence from the higher-ups of the show to trust her with that you know her, her second, second episode the only other one she's done before this is power so like which is a fine episode but it's not like you know an all-time greater or anything so it's not a blizzard or exactly or so it wasn't like i mean she'd obviously proved herself at uh to some degree because they they felt comfortable handing her the keys to this but like it was a bold choice to hand her the reins of this episode and trust that she was going to do a good job with it. And, you know, like she, she talked about in the interview, you know, the choice to not show the knife, the knife never appears Mm -hmm. like never, we never once see that knife. So it's all about theater of the mind. It's all about your, you're experiencing all the same things that Carter's experiencing in that moment, the fear, the confusion, the, the pain, all of that stuff just comes flooding in all at once. The only thing I will say, the only gripe, and I've felt this way since I watched it for the first time, I think the weak link in this whole fucking chain is fucking Noah Wiley. Like, I just, I mm. think he hams that shit up to a cartoonish level, and I don't like it. And I think it could have been, if you'd have turned the dial down just a little bit on the whole thing, I think it would have worked a lot. It's still great. It's still great. But I think if there is a weak link in that chain, I think he's it. And that's just my opinion. But just. I'll have to can rewatch. Just, I'll have we, to rewatch his performance one more time with that in mind and see yeah. how I come out on it. But just that song, 
and also just the image of him laying and seeing Lucy in a pool of her mm-hmm. own blood the, struggling. Yeah, the re- the reveal just, is just everything. Just that that whole had that whole part in the actual room just is seared into my brain and has been since the year 2000 when I first saw this. Can I tell you something? In my brain, there's no music playing. I forgot that there's any track to this. There's always that music playing. Well, I'm saying again, as a casual person who's maybe like actually watched this through once with you and maybe seen it on TV Mm -hmm. before and knew about this and knew about the scene. Yeah. Like I don't have that that like I have the visceral thing of the two of them on the floor, mm-hmm. but the song isn't in my head. Yeah, I'm I'm with Lauren too. I've I, I think I have seen that picture far more than I have watched this episode because that's the picture that gets yeah. used a lot when people write articles about this episode or talk about mm-hmm. Lucy as a character or talk about iconic character deaths. That's a that's a picture that gets used a lot. So I think I have seen and I'm trying to remember when I watched the show the first time through, I'm trying to remember if this was spoiled for me or not. I knew. I think I did too. I want to say, I can't remember if I spoiled it for myself or if it was an accidental spoiler or something, but like something tells me that I knew this moment was coming and I just didn't know exactly how the the thing played out. Yeah. I think I knew about most story beats before we watched it together. I think you had a very, you had a very, because Aaron watched it when I grew up. So like I had, I had a rough idea of some of the major story beats, but like, Clearly, when we rewatch this, I don't fucking remember half of what happened. <laughs> but, so. but just like, <laughs> again, we talked about it at the top. Like, the, the way that they marketed this episode was, you know, one of your favorites is going to go. They didn't say who, they didn't say how, and they didn't say what the outcome was going to be. They didn't say that somebody's going to die or that it's, you know, going to be whatever. So when you walk in that room, yes, they've been talking about Lucy. And again, if you're watching this and rewatching it and knowing what the outcome is, obviously Lucy's at the forefront of your mind because we haven't seen her in a while. And we know what's going to happen. But it's such a like bait and switch thing when he comes in the room and you see Carter get, you know what's happened. Mm -hmm. And the thought in everyone's mind in that moment, the 31 million people that were watching this live as it happened, they had to have been thinking, holy fucking shit, they're going to kill Carter. Like, well, and they, they even do such a good job keeping that halfway into the next episode. Right. Yeah. Like I, like I said, we don't know who's right. Who's exactly. Gonna die exactly. Here. We're if, we're filling in the blanks, having them. known exactly what's going to happen next episode. But yeah. just right. the, Lucy is very much breathing on the floor. The double the double sort of whammy that they close you on here of you've just had this like not even thirty seconds to process the fact that the guy who has been one of the main protagonists certainly could be argued the audience surrogate up to this point uh, just got stabbed by this psych patient seems to be very seriously injured and then hits the floor. And just as you're starting to kind of wrap your mind around that, then the camera pans over and you see what he sees. And we mm-hmm. get this double whammy of like, Oh shit, it's both of them. And just him weekly trying to yell Lucy. Yeah. And yep. it's just, wow. I mean, wow. Just unbelievable. It's. Do we even want to rate this one, or can we just say iconic and leave it at that, and not even give it a number rating? Honestly, I think it's as an it as a part one. I think it's you would have to give it a, wait to give it along with part two. I think, like, I mean, obviously, it's still an individual episode, and as an individual episode, I think it's a nine out of ten. Yeah, I think I think that's, that's fair. fair. I think nine out of ten that's is fair. is totally fair because other than the stuff we talked about with Mark. Um, being preoccupied with Chen and Malucci, that is unquestionably the weakest part of the episode. 
And yeah, once you explain exactly. why that might be, it made sense. Yeah, but if yeah. there's anything you can knock this episode for, that would be it. And yeah. it's just... I will say, though, I, I feel like, you know, with this two-part episode and with other two-part episodes we will deal with over the course of the series, we talked about this in, in The Storm, you know, like, there is no, like, film school take with this. Like, there is no, like... Uh, um, actually, there, nobody talks about it, but... No, like part two is unquestionably the better part of the two halves of this two part thing. All of all of the stuff that is going to stick with you about this, besides the last image of this episode, all comes from part two. Part one is a great episode in and of itself. But like with the storm, I I, I made a really like impassioned argument that I think part one is the stronger of the two episodes. Mm-hmm. There is no such argument to be made here. Like Be Still My Heart is an excellent episode. Nine out of ten. Great great episode yeah but all in the family is an all-timer all in the family spoilers as we're recording this is running away with the championship matchup of our um best episode march madness yep. tournament and i'm trying to come to terms it with is that. fucking pummeling on the beach if you got on instagram you could vote i'm sorry i don't i'm not on every single social media it is pummeling it and it's just I'm on three, and that's too One many. thing I will say, and yeah. we, we talked about this off mic after last week's episode, and it's a point I don't want to forget to, to bring up. I do sort of feel like the moment when Carter gets stabbed, I do sort of feel like for about the next five seasons or so, this is the moment where, um, because he is our audience surrogate, and because so much of the, the show's narrative is wrapped up in his journey and all this other stuff, this is the moment where the show loses its innocence. Like, this mm-hmm. is the moment where the show is no longer um, purely about these people at work and their lives in the ER and the patients they see and, 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 mm-hmm. and, and learning and, and discovering things for the first time and all this other stuff. Like, and so a lot of the, like, not to say that they'll never do anything funny ever again, but a lot of the wackety schmackety stuff kind of fades away for a while after this. Like, everything's much more serious. Everything's much more like dealing with his bullshit and dealing with his kind of coming to terms with this. And as it should be, this is a huge moment and a huge event, but it is just sort of notable that like just a couple episodes ago, we were dealing with him slipping and sliding out of a porta potty because Chen called a fake page stuff like that. You ain't going to see that for a long time after this. Yeah. And it's just as one of those mile marker moments of like, this is it like we're 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 slamming the door shut on that era of the show like we are no longer doing the the funny wackety schmackety stuff with carter he's going to be dealing with a completely different monster for the next however long like pretty much for like up until like season nine i think is where like it really starts to like and like when he starts to like go to africa Mm -hmm. and by that point he's a he's a different person arguably by that point yeah but like that but like everything before like nearly everything before that though is informed by this right exactly right yes here. and and it, it it ebbs and flows and it and it's maybe not as um complete as it, i would love it to be sometimes like his recovery arc sometimes is it, it's interesting like it it doesn't always we'll get into that as we go but like this yeah. this as a moment is important in and of itself not just because of the events that happen but for what it represents like it represents the complete loss of innocence of Carter. Like baby Carter is well and truly dead. Like baby Carter's gone. Yeah. And we have this now this new, maybe not better, but this new person in place of him. And will we like him? Who knows? Who knows? Uh, so yeah, 
nine out of ten for me. Mm-hmm. That seems to be the general consensus here mm-hmm. for once. Yeah, we're <laughs> all on the same fucking page. Uh, Lauren, what in God's name do the listeners have to say about it? Uh, Daniel, is this going to be one where I may have to tap in? And um, out? actually, I haven't uh, scrolled. All the yeah, way no, I mean, so. In terms of quantity, there's we had a lot of responses for this one. This was another one where I had to cut it off. Okay. I didn't take everybody's responses. Um, but we didn't get, like, the paragraphs that we got for Abbey Road. This was much more of, uh, okay. like, I think it was very representative of the way people must have felt when this show or when this episode aired initially. Like, it was probably very okay. much, like, that made me feel something, but I'm not sure how to articulate it into words. <laughs> and that's gotcha. kind of what we see here. But, yeah. All right. I will do my level best, and if I need help, I will ask. Uh, Chris N. says, I remember watching this episode live 20-plus years ago. I was a casual watcher at the time, but parts of this episode were burned into my brain. The blue cake, battle flag, and the camera panning over to show Lucy laying on the floor covered in blood. It was so, so chilling then, and remains that way to this day. Uh, oh, can I say one more thing that I please. forgot to mention earlier? Sure. This episode is the reason why I why I've I have been offered as a diagnostic tool twice in my life to get a spinal tap. Never said no harder to anything in my entire life because of this episode. Anyway, Audrey T says Paul Sabricki is to Lucy as Joy is to Doug. You really have to separate the man from the character. Who doesn't love Head Elf Bernard? Come on, David Crumholtz was hilarious in Ten Things I Hate About You too. Did anyone else clock T-Boz in a poster behind Elizabeth's head when she was talking with her mom and Romano in the hall? I included video evidence. <laughs> Robbie and Julia. He is one tough kid. As an adult, I would have ran out like Julia did. A-plus to Nurse Halay. Ooh, that ending. The music. What song is that? I swear that beat is like a punch to the gut for ER fans everywhere. On the uh, the T-Boz thing, I, I did see that after uh, Audrey linked the video in, in the comment thread. Um, and I tried for the life of me when I was watching to figure out what the sign is referring to and could mm. not. Like, it just won't make okay. out. Yeah. There are so many signs in this episode that are good that I like caught the first time and then of course didn't catch when I was doing notes, but there's some really good ones in this episode. Yeah. Um, Elizabeth F says, I'm not ready, but Lucy Knight is what brought me to your podcast, so here we go. Well, thank you. Her frustration with Carter hits such a high this episode. Kills me that they didn't get one more chance to work it out. Anton Yelchin? Yelchin? Yeah. I can't. As a guest star... Also sends chills down the spine, knowing what happened to him as an actor, as and this as his first role is incredible. The music down to the backdrop of a Valentine's party all helps make this episode all the more memorable. Can't wait for part two. Katie B says, one of my favorite cliffhanger episodes, I scream don't leave Lucy alone with him at my TV every rewatch. And for real, who needs that big of a knife to cut a cake? The music playing when Carter gets stabbed is just so perfect it makes you feel all the feels but I am so not ready for the next episode. Franner W says, Poor David Crumholtz. I have never been able to look at him the same way again because Paul Sabricki is always staring back. Such is the level at which this episode is burned into my consciousness. Lucy's calling was always going to be psychiatry, and of course it was a psychiatric patient who caused her demise. And this was ultimately because she was trying to get him what he so desperately needed and advocating for him where others had brushed the symptoms off. The look of recognition on Carter's face as he realizes the enormity of the situation just before he passes out, gut-wrenching. 
I already miss Lucy. Similar to the music from the last scene that has people chilled whenever they hear it, I cannot watch Oklahoma and hear They Call the Wind Mariah without saying John Cullum. So it's not all bad. I like it. Kadar says, although Carter is not the worst human being on this show, but I've noticed every time Carter decided to be a jerk, the consequences were horrible. First was the trans woman in season one, then Dr. Gant, and now Lucy. Guess what factor they all had in common? Carter and his listening skills. Excellent point. Gen T says, okay, I'm not ready. That's it. That's the tweet. Seriously, though, I can't wait to hear you guys take on this episode. I remember watching in the original run and that final shot of Carter and Lucy, fucking brilliant. But also shocking, terrifying, terrible, and heartbreaking. That song literally haunts the nightmares of ER fans everywhere. Also, I can't leave a comment and not mention Cuddy Pie. And Abby asking Luca and Carol if the music bothers the patients and Luca saying, what? And then the group laugh. Nice little character moment there, even though it's eclipsed by something so terrible. I can still appreciate it. Megan M says, what an episode. I remember watching this during the original airing and having to wait an entire week for the next one. Romano and Gretel, as much as I absolutely love this whole storyline, it does seem out of character for him to bring his dog into the hospital and operate on her himself. Did he have to bribe or blackmail Babcock to agree to provide anesthesia for the case? Oh well, lack of realism aside, I still love it and it means we got we get more Shirley. Carter being his usual asshole self, brushing off Lucy and her correct assessment of Sabriki, the Carter-Lucy interactions are so frustrating to watch when you know what the outcome of this case will be. Lori O says, Back before the internet, social media, and spoilers, this was truly a shocking cliffhanger episode that really packed a punch. The writers did such a great job of keeping the foreshadowing low-key, I truly don't think anyone can say they knew exactly what was coming. I certainly didn't. Great moment in television history. At Basic Mall says, The fact that you don't see anything until it happens. That last scene always gives me sensory overload, from the darkness of the screen to the blasting music. It's done effectively as hell. Whenever I watch it back, I'm always yelling at Carter for being such a dick to Lucy. I enjoy Abby's story with the old lady, who Yosh adorably gives a card to because it's Yosh. To end on a happy note, I love Mark and Elizabeth playing in the snow and going out with their parents. Though it leads to a scene which I have many words about, but that's for next episode. This whole episode, it's an amazing lead-in to one of the most intense, emotional, and well-done episodes of the show. They did a great job with it. Daniel, you want to take this next one? At EA McDougal says, here we go. I remember watching this when it aired and wondering what was going to happen because the promos hinted that someone was leaving the show. Watching it now, I get so angry that all the signs were there and Carter did what he always did with Lucy. He disregarded her insights, he talked over her, and he left her to fend, quite literally, for herself. Ugh. They should have had security outside the exam room as soon as Paul got into that altercation with his friend or when Lucy found him in the lounge, which if you listen carefully, you could hear someone in the background saying something about the knife. That's when he took it. Also, I get angry that Lucy didn't give up on Carter supervising her, air quotes, and take it to someone, anyone else. Luca. Mark. Carrie's directing the episode and has a bigger part to play later on, but gah, which we touched on. Luca's busy with the, with mm-hmm. the kids, and Mark's busy with the bigger kids. Uh, so, uh, brilliant episode that still holds up all these years later. Little Anton Yelchin is so sad, and who doesn't love David Green belting out show tunes? Can't, can't wait for the next episode. I'm done now. Thanks, Lauren. Or Daniel in this case, but still, <laughs> thank you for the thank you. 
Um, and I believe last. Yes. Last but not least, as always, our lovely friend of the show, Aaron, at full time, the full-time dad, says, There are moments in TV history, and history in general, that people remember where they were, how they reacted, and how they felt when it happened. I wasn't an ER watcher then. In fact, that week was one of the craziest in my life. But I still remember friends who were fans at the time being in utter shock and horror at the conclusion. 20 years later, when I saw it for the first time, I could see why. I was stunned because I simply didn't see it coming. And that's a credit to Laura Inez's brilliant direction in many ways. It reminds me of Night Shift, where they give you so many offbeat subplots, Romano's dog, Chen and Malucci's cancer patient, the Green and Corday double date, the Valentine's Day party, some heartwarming ones, Gene Connolly's passing as... Gene? June? Gene. I thought it was June. I can't fucking do anything right today. Uh, Gene Connolly's passing as Abby struggles with how to treat her, and some tragic ones. My God, the car accident with the kids, and little Anton Yelchin as misdirection. You really don't see it coming until that incredible shot of an arm in a hospital gown in a shadowy corner, then a leg, and then as the camera pans up, Sabricki, with this bone-chilling look on his face as Carter reads Yosha's card to Lucy. The two thrusts behind the back, the hand emerging with blood, and the discovery of Lucy, drenched in corn syrup, gasping for final breaths. All to the unsettling soundtrack of Low Fidelity All-Stars' Battle Flag. It's one of the most amazing sh shot sequences we've ever seen. All I could imagine, 20 years later watching it, was how hard that week between episodes must have been for fans. They knew Kelly Martin was leaving the show, but not like this. All said, while All in the Family is a Mount Rushmore episode in ER lore, it wouldn't have been without this setup, which was brilliantly directed, acted, and executed. Without a doubt, one of television's most haunting cliffhangers and brilliant episodes. All right, well, that's about going to wrap up our episode for today. Thank you very much for hanging out with us. I know it's the big one, and next week kind of might be even bigger. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast. For only $1 a month, you can get access to our show notes each week. And for only $5 a month, you can get a free sticker featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry. Two-week early access to all of our cast and crew interviews. And over 40 hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes. A free-form monthly bonus show called The Lounge. Movie reviews, where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member. And flash-forwards, where we do a commentary track for future ER episodes. We would also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at Set the Tone ER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash Setting the Tone Podcast. And we are at Setting the Tone Podcast on Instagram. Also, be sure to check out the official Setting the Tone community on Facebook. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards and Daniel. Where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u. That is Y-O-U dot E-L. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Folks can find me on my personal Twitter at lowbob92345, talking about my trash bottle full of compost. It's it's a thing. Our our entire kitchen is about to be taken over by compost bottles. And you can also find me on Twitter. I am at randomgamer. That's J-A-M-3-R. Thanks again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next time, and have a great week. Bye.